Well, it's Pride Month. Yay! Wait, what does that mean? I don't oh. know. <laughs> I mean, we just started recording. We've been recording for like two minutes now, but like I'm cutting okay. out part of it because. That works. I, I was like, I have a plan, and I forgot it because I tried on every single clothing in my closet. <laughs> I'm terrified by the manic laughter that Tony has now given us. I just have the two perfect. But I'd oh, like already. I'd like yes. to welcome everyone to the uh, semi bookish podcast. <laughs> after we've been away for like two weeks. Oh my goodness, it's been it does. Feel it's been over. quite insane. Chaotic. Summer reading has started. Yeah. So yay! So you know anybody who hasn't signed up for summer reading yet should totally come and sign up for summer reading because if you haven't, where have you been? Where like where do you what do you do during the summer if you don't do summer reading? So like, is it true that if you sign your kids up you get a free vasectomy? <laughs> or is is that is that not is that just was that last year? Am I supposed to keep that in the podcast? It is a scientific term which you can look up. Yes. Okay, so I guess we're gonna keep that in the podcast. Um, I feel like that is a no, by the way, since we are not medically. Uh, we cannot medically give you one of those. We do not have the Listen, license. Vasectomies happen. We can't even happen tell everywhere you. all the time. We, only a few. We of legally them are done. can't even tell you how to do your taxes. Okay. We also whatever. legally can't advise people on whether or not they should perform any kind of surgical or have anything surgically performed upon them. So the second we clock out, though, that. <laughs> However, you know. Listen, 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 listen. Sure. If you'd rather just you know have something to do by the time this episode listen. comes out, I think on the twenty seventh of June. We have a drop-in superhero day for the kiddos Ooh. for Terrific yeah. Tuesdays. Uh, the 20th, which is the day after this podcast drops, um, we're doing a Pokemon party. Oh, yeah, the Pokemon so, party. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's happening. Cool. And um, spaces are very limited, but if you would like to, we also have uh, Intro to Spanish and American Sign Language classes that are going mm-hmm. on literally, like, all for, like, the next couple months. And so, those are adult programs, those, those are adult, two, specifically. Yes, those yeah. are adult programs, so, you yes. know... If you haven't done that yet, you probably should because, you know, they're very popular. There are also um, Thursday teen programs going on. I've got Bubble Blowout coming. Well, you would have already missed it if you're listening to this episode. But there's Sidewalk Chalk. Next Thursday on the 22nd. And then we have Canvas Painting on the 29th. So, you know, totally come and do these things. Yes. Or if you're not from this town in which we live, you should totally contact your library and see what they're doing because they're probably doing some fun stuff. Now, anyways, I'd like to know what everyone's reading. Yes, Grant? I have one question. The Pokemon Party. Um, yes. Are, is, are Vaporeons allowed or is that kind of... Oh my god! Is that kind of a no-go now? See, I feel like there's a deep cut Pokemon question that I don't understand. All right, but Aaron is shrieking like. I'm just making. I'm just making sure I need to. Grant, what are you reading? The answer is no. Okay. I'll explain it to you later, Tony, because I cannot explain it while we are recording because I refuse to have that type of lore in our space. Oh. Anyways, continue. Grant, what are you reading? Everybody, Google it. No, don't Google it. Don't Google it. Don't do that. Spell V. No, I'm just kidding. No. 
All right, yes, Grant, what are you reading? Listen, <laughs> books are for nerds. I'm not reading anything at the moment, so... I feel like that's an aggressive statement. That's a very contradictory you feel really, statement. You feel really angry about the fact that you're not reading right now, which is why you're... I feel like it's a very a, contradictory statement, a, too, considering where we work. It, 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 is, mean, it know, is a very and contradictory who we are. statement. So, really, are you not reading anything at the moment? I'm, I'm in one of those states where I can't commit to anything oh, so I'm just yeah. I have like five things from Melcat that I'm reading little bits from sure sure um, yeah yeah like I have a I have a Bojack Bojack Horseman art book oh yeah some like yeah. behind the scenes stuff yeah it's cool I yeah. showed you briefly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um jeez what else uh I don't know I don't know yeah there's nothing it's the the days blend together and it's just a never ending it yeah. has been that kind of summer recently yeah. so yeah I get it I've been watching movies though oh nice what have you been Before. watching um I just watched the Orphic trilogy which is a series of um <coughs> the first one's silent and then the um, uh, what's it? John? It's a French guy. Jean Cato. I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway. I mean, that was a very nice accent. Be- uh, croissant. <laughs> Does anybody have a croissant? <laughs> have um, you been watching a little bit too much Jimmy Neutron for that accent? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I got too much of that Jimmy Neutron style. Though. So what is the basic premise behind the, the what is it trilogy? The Orphic The Orphic trilogy. Trilogy. It's, it, like, it, t- it takes inspiration from like the, uh, you know, the story of Orpheus and stuff. <gasps> okay. Oh, and nice. He, so this guy, he's he was like a big... Uh, he, he was a he was a poet. He was a filmmaker. He was a, a playwright. Mm-hmm. He was a big force in like the the surrealist movement. True. Um, so he rubbed shoulders with all those guys. And yeah. So each each uh, part of the trilogy, the first one's Blood of a Poet. The second one's uh, just called Orpheus. Third one's um, what is it? Something of Orpheus. Mm-hmm. Um, and each and each one's made in a very different time of his life, and it kind of reflects that. And the last one mm-hmm. was when he was dying, and so there's a lot of themes of mortality and stuff. And do I 100% understand what I'm watching, what I'm looking at when I'm watching them? <laughs> no, but that that kind of that's, that's kind of the whole thing. Surrealism, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, definitely lots of strong, memorable images. Okay. Throughout and and like I said, like if you know mythology and stuff, like you can pick, mm-hmm. you can pick these little things and like you know that form of the sculpting. Okay. Yeah, you can see. Okay, oh that's kind of cool. Those are probably the most memorable nice. things I've seen recently. So, Aaron, what are you reading? The Alchemy of Moonlight. Oh Which, yes. Uh, so reading, I haven't got. Who's that, that by again? Uh, it's by. Uh, David Ferraro. Yeah, and um, so basically, for those who just want, I'm just gonna give like a quick look summary because I have a summary pulled up. Yeah, nice one. Oh, so basically, it is a gothic romance. So you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm absolutely obsessed with those, and um, mm-hmm. I would literally like like lay down on the street and get run over for gothic romance. So sure. <laughs> therefore, it's a very strong statement. <laughs> it is a very true statement. But anyways, so it's gothic romance, fantastic genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so glad that it's making kind of a renaissance lately, like in the past couple years. There have been quite a lot. I yeah. am so happy. But basically, this is about Emil, who is um, been kicked out by his aunt because he is gay. And his aunt gave him the ultimatum of you have to either be give me an heir or you're disowned. And so he leaves 
And he runs away, and then he disguises himself as, like, a servant. And so this is before he can even be, like, physically disowned. Like, he runs mm. away. He's like, no thanks. Um, I still want my inheritance, so I'm going to run away. And then so he hides <laughs> in the house of uh, Count Montoni and his family as a servant until he can come of age and actually claim his Oh, that's inheritance. interesting. And it turns out, and this is the fun supernatural bit of anything that's a gothic literature, is that uh, they have this strange affliction that seems to happen every single time that the moon is a full circle. Hmm. Is it lycanthropic in nature? I I don't know. I'm not sure. However, I do like the fact that... um, Do they hide all the silverware during this time? They might. <laughs> so no one accidentally. But uh, he uh, basically finds a corpse outside their house, the house that he's working in. Okay. And, yeah, one does. And he's yeah. like, oh, no, what what's happening? And so meanwhile, as Emil is trying to figure out the mystery, mm-hmm. uh, the Count is trying to stop him from finding out the actual answer to the mystery. And so yeah. it's kind of one of those, like, who knows? And then there's this really handsome doctor named Bram. Because of course there is. Um, and a charismatic nephew named Henry. Um, and I feel like that's like a call out to like Bram Stoker at that point. But Probably, yeah. Surely, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, this is actually a retelling of Anne Radcliffe's The Mysteries of Udolfo. Ah. And uh, this is a more queer retelling of it, obviously, because... And Radcliffe. Set in the same time period, maybe? I think this is set in the same time period. Okay. But I feel like this one's more... No, this one can't be set in the same time period because Anne Radcliffe's, like, pre... um, Pre-Victorian. Pre-Victorian. That's true. She would have been... Um, And this is more, like, Regency... Georgian, maybe? Oh, maybe Regency. So so this is more, like, Victoria Regency-type thing. So probably Regency, yeah. There's Marquis, there's Counts, so there's more, like, aristocracy involved in this. Well, yeah, that would have been... Aristocracy, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, that definitely I don't know how to read words out loud. That definitely would have been... It's, I think Anne Radcliffe was Regency, though. I think she... Was in that time. Yeah, Actually, no, was. I think she was pre-Regency. I think she was six, uh, 17th century, right? See, now i got to look up Anne Radcliffe. She was 1764 to yeah, so, so 18th century. Okay, I was slightly off, but yeah, that's she's pretty... Ba- she's that's basically, like, yeah. one of the pioneers of Gothic literature. Like, right. I like... Yeah. Ha- I know that we all, like, kind of look at, like, think people like Edgar Allan Poe as, like, big... Like gothic literature, romance. Oh well, I mean, yeah, but that's because he was the like, like American. But like, set it's guy Anne that. Radcliffe. Yeah, she's the it OG. is Anne Radcliffe. Like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you, but Which, like, I mean, Poe would have read. He would have read yes, Anne Radcliffe. Yeah, he would have read Anne yeah, Radcliffe. I would think. Um, but that's kind of like the story I'm reading right now, and then ironically enough, in probably set in the same time period because I feel like. The Alchemies of Moonlight is set in, like, 18, like, maybe 70s, 80s. Oh, okay. Uh, speaking yeah. of the 1800s, I'm still playing Hogwarts Legacy, which is set in the 1890s. Yes. Ah, yes. So, <laughs> uh, deep Victorian. I'm deep in Victorian right now. Um, which would be just before Edwardian. Anyway, sorry. But uh, right now, my character is <laughs> running around. And so, I think I finished the first act, and I'm not entirely How long sure. is this game? There's a lot to do. Uh. 
Um, and by a lot to do, I mean, there's a lot of places to explore. The map is open world. So oh, once you, that's right. Once you, once you finish, like, the main section of, like, turning around and being introduced into your classes, mm. and your character for the first part goes to Hogsmeade with another student, mm-hmm. after that's unlocked, you can Friggin'. literally just leave the campus and go out either direction of Hogwarts, and you can go either north or south. Um, it's a huge map. This is a huge... It's, How does that work? Well, it goes up to Hogsmeade, and then it goes up to Upper Hogsfield, and then there's a place down south called Feldcroft, and like a whole bunch of castles underneath down there, and so there's like a whole entire area that yeah. you can explore, and yes, you can explore it even if you're underleveled, because well, sure, I did because that's, that. That's I, open acci- world. I accidentally did that the other day because I was trying to look. One of the one of the side quests is you have to look for troll bogies to be able to unlock a spell. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna go look for troll bogies. And I already <laughs> modded my game because why don't I mod my game already? And I have companions that will follow me around because this game is single player and it does not have any people that follow you around. Sure. However, that was cut content. You, originally, you were allowed to have companions, but they cut it out. Can you mod it so you have Macho Man Randy Savage as a follower? I would not be surprised if you could. Um, (laughs) uh, Right now, I have one of the professors following me around, Mm -hmm. which is very hilarious because uh, um, one of the side quests I did the other day was um, there was this guy hiding in a Hogsmeade alleyway, and he was upset at a guy who was his business partner because they were going to start a herbology business. So they were going to start a plant business, for those who don't know what that means. Um, And they had... uh, put together their business and then the other guy cut him off due to like differences they had an argument and they cut each other off Mm -hmm. and so now he's mad at the other guy because he won't give him his like money or whatever yeah and so he asks you hey would you do this for me and he asks you to go into this guy's cellar underneath his business and steal his prized uh venomous tentacula which is like a giant it's like a giant um, um, Venus flytrap. Fly trap, yeah. It's like a giant, giant Venus flytrap, and you have to go down and you have to go around him and go steal it. I had the professor with me, and it was really funny because I turned the camera around, and I have a picture, and I'll show you both later. Turn the camera around, and there's the professor just standing right there, staring at me, completely blank-faced. As like, you're trying to sneak quietly through. And this guy is like a Professor Snape-style character. He's oh. the potions master. However, he's also an ex-orer. So, like, there's, like, a whole, like, thing that goes with it. He walks around with a limp, and it's really fantastic. Um, okay. <laughs> honestly one of the best characters I love him in this game but okay. anyways so he's just like staring at me like you're gonna go do what <laughs> and I'm following you around so to be nice and be lore friendly I dismissed him and then grabbed another one of my character's friends and took them along with oh, me nice. so that way it wouldn't seem like I was like being corrupting the teacher corrupting the teacher <laughs> um, so I took the Weasley boy with me because it was very entertaining and he likes to uh all of Fred and George experiment with potions. <laughs> sure. And his aunt is the um, deputy headmistress. Well, didn't we all experiment with potions in college? <laughs> Did we? No. Did we? Uh, Tony, no. can I ask what you're reading, please? Um, I'm reading two things right now. Um, 
Interestingly enough, they both are following my current interests. Um, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> uh, one is that the one I've just sort of cracked into, so I'm about 50 pages into it, and it, I'm just reading it slowly. Um, it's called Witch King by Martha Wells, um, which I've been, I've been really excited about this book since I think they announced it a year and a half ago. Um, Martha Wells is also the author of the Murderbot books, which if you've been listening to this podcast or coming to the library in the last year, you've heard me mention the Murderbot books maybe a few hundred times. Um, just fantastic, and I love them. Um, so, this is her return to fantasy, um, and it's a standalone, because our other fantasies have been series, and so I just, I wanted to try something that wasn't my, you know, I'm not a big series reader. Is that where she kind of started out in fantasy? or what? I think her first, yeah, I think her debut was a fantasy one, um, and I want to say Murderbot is her first original sci-fi project because I know she did she did a lot of um, what do they call that I want to say licensed work which I mean she was writing for other properties basically mm-hmm. she wrote a Star Wars book she wrote you know so she's dabbled in genre um, and her approach to genre in her mind she's talked about this in interviews that she for her it's all one big pot and you know you just sort of pull from the whole thing and it either ends up sci-fi or it ends up fantasy or it ends up some weird thing of both and you know whatever so um doesn't surprise me that she's able to sort of be fluid in between them but yes so witch king is the basic premise is that you follow around this uh i'm gonna call him an underworld being because i'm not sure that the being himself is I don't know if he refers to himself as a demon or he hasn't yet, but there are cultures in the world that do refer to him as a demon, and he has the ability to possess human bodies, or I should say physical bodies. I don't know if it's just human bodies, but physical bodies, and so you're following him. He At the beginning of the book, he is in between bodies, and so when he possesses a new body, he has to figure out well, what happened to the old one? Why is it in this location that is really strange? Did they know they were lock, sealing away a demon, or did the group that just came in that he has to attack, uh, did they know that this was a place where I was sealed up as a demon and what's going on? So there's some arcane nonsense that he has to follow. Um, and there's a little group of people that he's following. You know, together, they all know this thing. So he's lived a long time and many lives and so you follow like flashback chapters too of his former lives so you know it's still coming together and it's I mean it's really enjoyable it's very the world building is rich and wonderful and the story is you know it's Martha Wells it's what she does best she's She's really she's just really good Um, and then the other book that I'm reading is much more simpler on the surface it's uh a space opera romance called Winter's Orbit. Oh, okay. By, oh my goodness, what is her name? Everina Maxwell. Um, and, you know, it, it's, yes. it's again, it's a romance, so this is a basic plot. It's a forced marriage romance. So um, the emperor tells Prince Kiem, uh, you got to get married because if you don't, Oh, well, okay, yeah, you gotta get married, because if you don't, you're gonna, it's gonna break a treaty 
that is going to break up the empire. No questions asked. I don't really care what you think. You're going to do what I tell you to do. And because the emperor is the emperor and not just his grandmother, um, he has to do it. So the problem with that is he's not only being forced to marry, he's being forced to marry his dead cousin's husband. So, yeah. Yeah. Introduce some yeah. Yeah. So his cousin died in a oh, okay. his cousin died in a flybug accident. A flybug is like a spaceship or something like that. Died in the accident, and to preserve the treaty, because the auditors have arrived, uh, he has to get married. Literally the day after the emperor says you have to get married. So she gives him not even twenty four hours notice. So he does, um, but the couple discovers very quickly that because the, they meet with the auditors and the auditors go, yeah, and by the way, you should look into that accident because we're pretty certain it's not an accident and that's going to throw everything into chaos. So get that looked at. <laughs> so as a newly wedded couple who, you know, it's all political, they're like facing what might possibly be the murder of one of their cousins and the other one's husband of five years. So, you know, tiny little meek <laughs> space drama and, you know, yeah, kind some, of thing. Yeah, a few little complications thrown. Yeah, but it's actually really good. It's much richer in the space opera department than I thought it would be. Um, but it also is following the romantic, um, the romance arc in a, you know, in natural, satisfying way. You know, I mean, it's it's all there. If you know the beats, then you can sense them. But it's not forceful, mm-hmm. which I really like. And it's a fairly large book. So, I mean, for it to... to it's really sort of building that space opera universe in the background as well. So, it's I mean, all everything's pieced together. It, it's a really good book um, at this point. So, we'll see if it keeps going. Well, that's good. Yeah. I really yeah. like that. Yeah, it's it's a, please it's, note that. Except for, you know, Grant not reading anything. Many of our books are, like, pretty queer. I was going to say. There's a pretty good theme going on. Pretty gay books going it's, on. It's there. almost like there's a theme for this month. I mean, that's not, I mean, I just tend to read gay people. Yeah, but it's almost like lot. there's a theme for this month. I mean, it's almost like it's Pride Month. It is Pride Month. It's almost like, you know, <laughs> there's books for Pride Month. That's me segueing into the topic today, I, I, which is. You know, I noticed Pride that. Month. <laughs> yes, yes. That was my very horrible, horrible, so, horrible. So, do you have like a statement or a question no, or I a? Don't. No, oh. I was going to, and then I turned around, and stuff happened at my house today. So. Oh no, that's fair. No, that's fair. But right. I, I mean, with the, I mean, even with the influx of all the different uh, challenged books going on, yeah. with them being mostly towards people of color and mm-hmm. people of the LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. I want to say umbrella, but I also want to say spectrum at the same time. I would say sp- spectrum feels better to me. Spectrum feels yeah, better? Yeah. Just cause, Although you know, a rainbow umbrella does is a cool, is a fun image. That's true. I it agree. is a fun image. You can spin it and stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. You could also call us the people of the flag. <laughs> does anyone have any but thoughts so about flags. that lately, though? The bands? Yeah, because, I mean, like, that's been going on. I think it's I think it's the death throes of a dying ideology. <laughs> I would I, I like, actually I, I like agree. To think, I like to think that. I would actually agree with that, um, particularly since we've been seeing there have been several states, Florida included, who have passed 
laws that make it illegal to ban books. Mm-hmm. So oh, and, and the fact that Florida, Illinois. Illinois just passed theirs, I think yesterday. Did Florida? Did yeah, that happen did. in Florida? It did. Yeah, it kind of backfired. On it them. did. It backfired in a it, major wait. way. In Florida, yeah. Florida did a, like, you can't ban books anymore thing? Yes. Is it after the lady who tried to ban the book about, but, like... I'm not sure what there, target, what made it there jump was, off. I there think were, there was a there was a lawsuit by Pen America in Florida a couple of weeks ago. That Pen America was like, "All right, enough is enough. Two can play that game." And because Pen America, that's literally Pen America's function is to root out censorship across the world. Well, Pen America is the American version, but Pen Voices. That's the whole point of the organization is to root out censorship across the world. Mm-hmm. They've taken on way tougher cases than what we're dealing with. So they're like, all right, we're ready. Why not? We're lawyered up. And so they just went into Florida because Florida was some, the most aggressive of the states and licked it up in two weeks, <laughs> which is what I love Pen America for. I'm like, it's like right, insane cool. considering how long like usual book lawsuits like you even take. Pen Voices kept Song and Rush Day alive, okay, for decades. So this is not really a problem. <laughs> they have. I feel like Did that's a question. Did they actually like protect him? In- yeah, they were. I mean, they were a big push for the the sanction um, to keep him to get him to the states and get him under I'm protection. I'm completely and, out of the yeah. loop here at that point. So you know, I don't it was know. in the eighties. It was in the eighties. Yeah, there was. So okay, it's just the Salman Rushdie thing. Just a real quick history. Here's lesson. the thing. Here's so the thing. Wrote, Please note, I, I only know like he. I only know the one book that we have. Satanic verses. No, the one on the shelf. Oh, Victory, Victory City? City? Yeah, oh. I know absolutely nothing else okay, about Okay, so Salman Rushdie was a British writer in the 80s. Is. Or is a British. He's still alive. Sorry. <laughs> he is a British Indian, a British writer of Indian descent. Okay. Who wrote a book called Satanic Verses, which I believe is his third novel. It was the first after he won the Booker Prize. Um, so it was a hot commodity because, you know, he's a youngish writer who got a Booker Prize. And the book was promptly... Uh, battled in key sections of the Middle East, including I mean, yeah. including his home country of India. Um, but the mil- militant religious leader of Iraq... Okay. Was Iraq? Was it I Iran? think it was Iran. It was Iran. You're absolutely right. It was the militant religious leader of Iran. Okay, sure. The Ayatollah Khomeini. Sure. Wow, I can't believe I know that. Um, it's fine. I've watched a few documentaries. I feel way too young for he, this conversation. You, you kind of are. It was, in the 19, <laughs> I just, it was in the early 80s. He issued what is known as a fatwa, which is basically a an order to last throughout eternity. It cannot be... Like, one of the rules of the fatwa is that once it, once issued, it cannot be re, re, uh, recanted. Until it's enacted? Yeah, until it's enacted, it cannot be recanted. Do so, they put out, like, a so hit on it? It's basically a hit. So anyone of, of the faith, if you see... Anyone if you see him, with, is it on if site? If you see Salman Rushdie, you are to murder him on site. It doesn't matter what you're do, what he's doing. And because that's what almost happened last year. That is what all, yes, exactly. Wait, it almost yeah. happened last year? Yeah, he, yeah, he, he lost, lost an eye over it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, while it is very sad, he now gets to wear a cool eye patch. That's and I true. envy him slightly. He but, needs you know. to wear cooler eye patches, but he's still okay. tr- he's still traumatized. <laughs> you know, he's still going. He, no, yeah, it yeah. honestly, for a while, looked as though he blacked out one of the one of his glasses lenses. Mm. And it's like, oh, 
come on, Salman. But he'll, he'll get there, I feel. Okay. Okay. You know, he's just now starting to write about it, so... You know, I'm just saying I would give go it. with that. Yeah, totally. Yes, yes. I feel like he's, you know, he's definitely still processing. No, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's the Salman Rushdie thing. So, you know... He's an all-around BA. He is. I mean, agreed, yes. Even though I did read a sort of scathing review of his late work from oh. an up-and-coming Indian writer who was like, yeah, his early stuff is better. I Well, what are they now? You know, I don't know. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was a really thorough and wonderfully thought-out piece, which is mm-hmm. what I respected it for. But I was like, all this makes me want to do is go out and read a whole bunch of Salman Rushdie. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so that I can argue with the piece effectively, but it's fine. Um, I'll get there. So, yes, um, I feel that we, we with the book-banning conversation to bring it back around to I was about to ask American (laughs) American book bands my feeling is that you know Grant is right I feel it is the death throes of of a dying ideology and and it's you know people are loud about something because they feel that they if they can't make legislative change in the lives of adults Mm -hmm. because they tried that and didn't work then they're going to make legislative changes in the lives of the most vulnerable popula- human population on the planet, which is children. And they are trying really desperately, and it's, it's, it's having an effect. The problem is that it's having an effect. And I will say, even though I think it is a dying ideology, don't just uh, accept that it's dying. You have to keep... <laughs> it's going to keep... No, you have, you, have, you have to keep... You have to, you have to yeah. kill it dead. Yeah. I mean, you do. I mean, I, I have no qualms stating that, you know, it, it. ideologies are up to be killed and should be. I mean, you know, because they're dangerous. I, I would um, just like you to know, I'm waiting for it to load, but Penguin Random House has this ultimate list of LGBTQ books, and I'm waiting oh. for it to load. Because <laughs> it's huge. Honestly, that's the thing that, to me, it's more encouraging. I mean, if we're going to talk about... I mean, Cosmo has, like, a 48-long, like... So, if we're going to talk about queer books, I mean, you know, this is something I've been tracking for... A decade and a half? Mm -hmm. At this point, I think. Um, I remember very clearly a reading life in which I wanted more books to feature because you know you read your whole life and you don't think about it and then someone points it out and you go wait a minute or then you read fan fiction and you realize there, like there's a lot of subtext yeah, that can be inferred a, from this there's a point at which you realize I think everybody does this at some point in their reading lives you get to a point where you're like wait a minute these all feel the same why is that and then you know someone smart goes well maybe it's because they're all written by people who look and sound like this and you're like Nuh-uh. So, of course, me, I try to prove them wrong. And then you realize, like, oh, wow. Like, nobody writes gay people into wizard stories. What's up with that? I'm so confused. Why is that? And Which is really we're, we're, hilarious we're, on the juxtaposition, especially when you're talking about that wizard story. Um, just any. I mean, just basically any. Like, Wizards uh, as a whole are probably the most homosexual. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wrong. And it's like, how do you? How does that happen? And when you sort of dig deeper into the cultural roots of where books come from, and you begin to realize that, well, if you live in a society that says you can't be who you are or you'll die... And they do that for decades and decades and decades and decades, well, centuries, but we're not getting there. You know, and then you get to a point where it's becoming more acceptable, you know. I was actually reflecting on this today. I thought, you know, just the cultural change. You know, I'm 34. 
Yeah. When I was 10 years old, Matthew Shepard was murdered. I didn't know about this until a few years after that. I didn't, still, I didn't even was, know about it. You know, and you know that there's a play about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't Larry even know it. I didn't even know about it until Sienna did um, well, local did university. They did it while I was going to school there, and I didn't even know that like anything like that existed until then. Yeah. I didn't even know about Harvey Milk until the movie came out. Like I didn't I, even yeah. know he existed. Yeah. I don't know. Any, I didn't know that one either. But that's the thing is that like it's gone from something you know like a high school child is accused i mean there's no real evidence whether he was or he wasn't he was but the point is that you know they didn't kill him because they had confirmation they killed him because they fought yeah and we've gone from that to now Uh you know sixth graders saying yeah i don't know about this gender thing you know and like and not like it's not that they don't care they they still but they they're internalizing safe spaces versus non-safe spaces. Mm-hmm. They know what that means. Nobody has to sit them down and explain it to them. You know, and you can blame the progression of technologies, you can blame the liberal, whatever, you can whatever, whatever. But the point is that they have an entire like dialogue about it. It's sixth grade. I like to me, it was like the quiet thing sitting in the corner I didn't want to look at at 16. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I was like, I don't know what that's going to do. That's going to mess things up, but I don't know what else it's going to do. You know what I mean? So the, that just the cultural shift has created a narrative shift for the books that are available because now you, it's like the problem that you have with any kind of book, which is like, wait, there are so many of these. I can't order what do all I, of them. Yeah, I can literally cannot order every single queer book out like, there. <laughs> I want to, but I can't. But I cannot because then I won't order anything else. And it's great because they're they come in many shapes and forms. You know, like the two that I'm reading right now. One is a, a fantasy for adults. One is a space opera romance for adults. And you know, they're both written by cis women. But still, the point is that they are. The incredible thing is that they take on queerness in this completely different way. They is, each do their own version they do their own of thing. how One is a little bit one. more straightforward because it's a romance story. Quite literally. It's literally like, all right, these two men have to figure out how to get along with each other. But but what's interesting is all of the gender play that goes on in there. Like Because it's a space opera, there are the different cultures from different planets. Um, the two characters are constantly mixing up people's genders because they're like, oh, wait, this planet doesn't do the comb thing so I actually don't know what gender that person is or this other like person they are from the culture with the comb thing which means oh they're they're a girl like it's a constant thought process you see that with language too especially like you know like how in language there's like always the masculine and the feminine depending on like which language you're talking and then sometimes (laughs) there's that like neutral one in the middle and you're like Mm -hmm. I don't know which one I'm saying and I don't know which one means which Mm -hmm. but like it's kind of the same boat, but, like, mm-hmm. with, like, you get what I mean. Yeah, I, love, I just love that it's altering the ways that we tell stories because those assumptions are culturally just gone. You can't just make them anymore without, you know, offending someone or possibly... I mean, you, you have to really think about it, and I think that's... Why shouldn't you? I mean, you know, when did we? Why did we stop in the first place? Don't get me started. The main thing is, is you know, if it offends you, just don't read it. I mean, there's that. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's no issue with. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's the whole thing about. If I open a fan fiction and I can't read it because it 
just I hate the way that it's written. I go away. <laughs> I get rid of it, and I read something else. Yeah, yeah. Or go the other way. If if you don't like something, read it, and maybe that's maybe actually me most of the time. Like even if it's written terribly, I'll still read it anyway. It's just because I like. Well, I I, yeah, I like I, to I, critique I, it. I, I'm saying specifically if like if something <laughs> has a viewpoint that you disagree with, oh, yeah, maybe no. read well, it sure. and then mm-hmm. maybe try to see where the, 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 the these other people are coming from. Has anyone had any favorite LGBT? themed books lately lately yeah also does anyone know if there's like a gay version of Little Mermaid in book format and where I can read it cause you know your girl wants to read some of those it's called The Little Mermaid it's written <laughs> <laughs> no I, I mean, understand that I it was written I by a closet bisexual I know this um. But, like, I'm waiting for somebody to actually, like, um, write it as it is. And now I have to... I, have to I believe The Girl from the Sea by Molly Knox Ostertag is a graphic novel. Um, is that, a, like, a lesbian little mermaid? I believe so. And I also think that uh, The Mermaid, The Something, and The Sea Witch um, by Maggie Tokuda Hall, who has been... Amazing lately, by the way, over her picture book. The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea. That's what it's called. I believe that one is also a queer adjacent read. See, now I'm going to have to read all of them, especially because now Little Mermaid's out. We have both. I need to know. We have both of them. And yes, I mean, the Little Mermaid should be, I mean, there are, there are, there are other. It, it, in my view, it has not yet gotten the retelling attention that it should. But yeah, I, that's but, what I mean. but the reason I say that, as someone who has one on the decks, because it's my favorite fairy tale of all Thank time. You. Thank you. Um, Thank you. It's extremely hard to retell that story. It, it, it looks. Why? It looks well. Um, because the original story has so much. He does so much so well in it that if you decide to take an angle, you have to figure out whose angle, one, you're going to take. Because if you take hers, it's like, well, then why do it? It's fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's perfectly done. I mean, the only thing you're doing is, I'm going to tell it in a setting I've never told it in before. Okay. Uh, or I'm going to tell it in a, um, you know, instead of it being a prince, it could be a princess. Well, yeah, but... So, I mean, like, that's fine, but that's not enough. What if we just told know? The Little Mermaid, but from the point of view of Sebastian? <laughs> Sebastian's just trying to stop the well, whole time. The thing is that it's it, the, the Little Mermaid is a tragedy, and I think that's, if you don't understand that, you can't retell it. You have, that element of tragedy has to remain, because if you try and re-spin it and go, well, what if we make this a romantic piece where it's not a tragedy but it's a romance and they they get together in the end then it's like yeah add a few songs by Howard Ashman and you have the Disney animated version like it's not good enough I don't want the happy ending point I want the tragedy there are a few I think that have taken the viewpoint of the sea witch Mm -hmm. and I can't remember what those titles are and I don't they're not queer but my view of that is like no. I mean, so to no, me, again, I want, I it's one, cheesy. Because I just want one from the point of view of Sebastian because I think it would be hilarious. Because I feel that the Sea Witch, I mean, there's not enough information in the story to really give the Sea Witch anything. I mean, what? So? It's she, almost, it, I mean. <laughs> she doesn't even have a name in, in my, the story. In my opinion, <laughs> I feel like, you know, doing the Sea Witch point of view is like, you know, when Disney decided to give like three movies to uh, Maleficent. 
for her backstory. But see, but see, the thing is, if you've read The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, mm-hmm. which is the grim story, tell, story, there's something there. Like, there's some energy in those first few paragraphs. Because, listen, okay, look, everybody, including the other fairies, by the way, gets invited to the party. Yeah. The king and queen are like, Maybe we don't invite her, though, because I don't really like her all that much, with no explanation. There's no explanation as to why they don't invite her. They're just like, eh. So when she shows up anyway, they're like, oh, we don't have you on the list. She's like, I know, but I want to bless your child anyway. So here goes. <laughs> you completely understand why she wants to... I mean, you know, we've all been spurned and not invited to the party, right? I mean, I, mean, I have. <laughs> Give me magic powers, yes, and it's like kind of. done. I'm, I'm totally gonna be that person. I mean, you know, it's she has a little bit more weight to her. The sea witch is a tool, in the like she's a she's a prop in the. Original. She's literally just there to propel it forward. Yeah, and I don't know that I don't. I mean, I'm sure that clever a clever enough writer could sort of pull her to the surface and bring out some things, but I'm so not interested in the sea witch at all. I'm just, I'm interested in the, the whole, like, enriching the tragedy aspect between those two characters, but I also want to write them as actual queer characters. Yeah. You know? mm, yeah. um, instead of as one of the things that I think is really cool about current LGBT or just queer writing, I'm just going to use mm-hmm. that as shorthand, is that we don't have to use metaphors anymore to talk about queerness or if we do as I am in my current project I'm not going to talk about it um, we can we'll hear about it eventually we can do it with actual queer characters but the characters themselves are not metaphors it's something else that's a metaphor for like the experience of it Mm -hmm. as opposed to you know the characters themselves can still be you know 100% 100% openly queer within their societies, but this other thing that they're dealing with is not just a metaphor for the queerness the way that we experience, but it's also a, um, a representation of something else that the characters are experiencing. So you're getting this multi-layered kind of thing that that straight writers have been able to do forever, mm-hmm. and now we're able to do it with our own characters because we don't have to... We can just say it. Yeah, I have so that I bought on the shelf you know. that I need to actually read. And by bought on the shelf, I mean actually they're in the collection right now and I need to pull such as so is there anything you're looking forward to particularly? oh I, I oh, you're asking me when I don't have to list in front of me alright Grant say something cool about queer books <laughs> I don't know <laughs> trying to figure out what questions might be interesting or motivating oh gosh or, I don't know I don't know. Um, you don't know? I'm just kidding. I mean, some of my favorite authors are queer. Um, yeah. Clive Barker. Um, yeah. Uh, what's his face? Um, William S. Burroughs, Dennis mm-hmm. Cooper, Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bray Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like they all approach. They all approach that. In different ways. Yeah, and they've all been writing for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like they... To me, what's interesting is seeing authors who have been around for a long time who have experienced that transition as artists, mm-hmm. you know, that cultural shift. Um, because I sometimes... And I don't know, you would have a, a, probably a better insight on this than I would. Um, I wonder how they're dealing with that shift in, like, current work. Because... It's almost like you have to shift your artistic paradigm yeah. to get anything. Yeah, I mean, 
I talked about it before when I was reading it, but the newest Brett Easton Ellis book yeah, yeah. deals head on with that. It's it's very autobiographical, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't try to be transgressive. He doesn't use that mm. aspect. Yeah. He doesn't use that aspect of himself in an attempt to be transgressive. The transgressive elements come from elsewhere in the story. Right. And similar... Well, Clive Barker isn't the same because it really that was it was very much subtext in his in his horror shorts and stuff sure. yeah. until he came out and then he wrote um, Sacrament and then that the, the, then it was very much con, uh, te- in the text itself yeah right not subtext yeah um, and I know it's been there I haven't read a whole lot of his more recent stuff but mm-hmm. it, um. I hear oh, that. There it is. I know that's a lot more surface level. Yeah. Now nowadays as well. Sure, absolutely. I finally yeah. found the two that I was looking for. What were you looking for? Uh, one of them's Wild Things uh, by Laura um, Kay. Yeah. And essentially, it's queer rom com. Um, two girls, two girls. What yeah. they decide to do is they decide to go from. They live in the city. Yeah. And they decide to go from the city life, and they decide to go move into the country. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a rom-com about them trying to navigate living in the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have uh, a couple of your characters who are in love with each other, and then a couple of the other characters are in love with each other, and there's kind of a square for a bit before they finally settle on their designated partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is Your Driver is Waiting by uh, mm-hmm. Priya Guns. Oh. Okay. Um, essentially, it's kind of... Uh, it's a, you know the film Taxi Driver? Yeah. It's Taxi Driver, but like, lady. Um, okay. Uh, so basically it's the main character's, um, a girl and she runs a rideshare business that was her father's Mm -hmm. and, uh, she falls in love with one of the people that she helps in her rideshare. And so it's kind of cute. So, you know, there's that. And then uh, there's a Martha Shelley biography Oh. Uh, called We Set the Night on Fire. Oh, okay. Um, we just got it. Okay. Um, it's on the shelf now. But it's about her, um, them, and being an activist yeah. before, like, Stonewall and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the yeah. gay liberation movement. So I'm like, ooh, that sounds yeah, like fun. So I bought that. And that's kind of... really cool. Kind of what I'm going for right now. Um, yeah, definitely. However, if I do keep looking at this one thing, because, um, you know, I'm looking at the OPAC right now. Uh, there's Bianca Torres. Torres is Afraid of Everything, which is on yours thing. Oh, that looks yeah, really yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. That one does actually look really good. I remember I think the, the cover that. looks, like, awesome. The cover is really cool. I think like, I'm going to actually yeah. have to go look at the cover eventually. Yeah, it's actually really cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're the other thing. I, there are some corners missing that I think are getting slowly but surely. I'm trying to fill them, like in no, our not, I mean not even just collection wise. No, but no, just I mean in like terms of like, terms of like when they come in, when I see that they're coming in, yeah. I try to at least get something in that area. Like, there's been a lot of focus and attention on Arrow Ace communities lately. Yes. In, uh, published. <laughs> fiction which is great I think the one thing that people are will always be too terrified of because of the societies in which we live and you know <laughs> intertony um, inter-tony. is uh, 
poly communities are constantly being ignored, which is so strange, particularly in, in however, science fiction and fantasy, that, like, because you're like, you can make you, up you see anything. That? No, but the fun part <laughs> is, is you, that's in more like traditional, like in like the publishing that we'd see out here. But I've been seeing a lot of the poly rep coming through with, and this is like, because I follow BookTok. We all know I follow BookTok. Yeah, yeah. It's through with like the independent people who are publishing by themselves, yes, the Amazon that's true. publishers and yes. things like that. Yeah. There's a lot of reputa- representation that's coming through with that. Yeah, that's Especially true. in, um, and I'm not, I have, I was going to take a drink at the time, but no. But um, New Adult, which is now a genre that's coming out now, which I don't understand the New Adult genre. Um, somebody should explain. Speculative fiction is not a genre. I'm, I am way cooler about speculative fiction than no, I am. No, about I'd like to, I'd like to understand. So if anybody from Book Talk actually listens to this podcast, somebody please explain to me New Adult. As far as I understand it, the roots, okay, I can tell you the roots of New Adult because I was there. Tony uh, <laughs> was there. The roots of New Adult come came from from a group of romance writers who wanted to write YA and none of them could get it published because the publishers were like, yeah, you got a lot of sex scenes in this. And I know that your kid has gone off to college and that that's the storyline, but there's a lot of... So you're, you're talking about so like Sarah went, J. Moss. We so know they you're talking went, about. No, this is even before Sarah J. Moss. They went to adult publishers and the adult publishers were like, yeah, but your characters aren't adult enough. For our readers, nobody wants to read a bunch of 19-year-olds, you know, going to college and college parties and having sex. So they made a compromise and started creating new adults. And every agent for like six months was looking for the hot new new adult author. After six months, all agencies were like, yeah, so new adults is dead because no one wants to buy it when we pick up new adult authors who are really good. So we have to tell our authors, pick pick an age category, and they're not happy about it. But guess what? No one wants these. So there's a whole corner of the internet, Mm -hmm. usually Twitter people who have now graduated to BookTok and they have their own channels and things. They're really angry about this. And they're, because now they're at the new adult age and they're like, we want books that are about us. And I'm like, so they, They keep flogging this dead horse because they really, really want it. And they really, really want it. But the problem is, none of them buy books. (laughs) So so publishers are like, we're not putting these out because you're not spending the money. You want us to send these to you for your book talk channel, and then no one buys them. So we're not wasting the money. So the category exists as a figment of the imagination on the internet. So it's like not an actual like genre? Not anymore. Okay. Every once in a while, because you know the Goodreads librarians, sorry, I was saying that with quotation marks because I really hate new adult. Can we have a whole, we'll have a whole Goodreads uh, episode eventually, how about that? So yeah, they run online and they will put, they will tag things as new adult on Goodreads, but the publishers hate that they've literally tried to kill it a thousand times so so what do they use then in the, when they're like it's either an adult or a young adult it's okay but other. if the kids the main characters in college like technically isn't that either, an adult novel it depends on it, it they're technically young adults yeah but Oh my god! Yeah, I know, I know. This is this is every new adult uh, fan. I want, I want, points that I, out. I, I, I so. want to know. I want to know what you have in your hand before I go off on a rant. Yes, so it's a thing. We'll have a whole new it's episode about yes. that later. And I have to be on desk in eight minutes, so we're just. Me go. too. Okay, so. Brent gets to go to dinner because he's special. Yay! Oh no. 
<laughs> one of these is because I was playing it last night and I was... <laughs> Okay, so... And the other one was just because I was like, absolutely. All right, so, Aaron, who did you get? In that in, in that corner. Kirby. And Grant, who did you get? Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and fight. <laughs> well, you see, Kirby... <laughs> I don't know how you're going to win this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, they both characters have insatiable <laughs> hungers. Yeah, but Kirby's a literal vacuum. <laughs> I did not put that together. <laughs> Kirby right. is a literal vacuum. This is true. However. <laughs> <laughs> and as I run Winnie away. the Pooh has left the challenge. <laughs> um, I will say if there if if one of Winnie Winnie's friends gets honey involved, like <laughs> coats, coats, coats Kirby and honey. I, have you ever seen Men in Black, the original one, where he, where, where, where Tommy Lee Jones gets eaten and yes. then blows his way out of yes. Yes. blows his way out of the alien? Have you ever yes. watched Kirby with a hammer? Uh, uh, is it like three got two guys one hammer? <laughs> so the is no. Kirby hammering Winnie the Pooh to death? That seems a bit violent, so, given that Winnie the Pooh is a stuffed animal. So here's also the thing that makes my brain just kind of. Leave the building. Uh, so, if one of Winnie the Pooh's friends is currently covering Kirby in honey, I, what, that's probably Piglet. Why, why can't Kirby just eat that one? Does Kirby perceive Piglet as a threat? Yes. Does he? Yes. It's Piglet. Are there? Where, no one perceives Piglet as a threat. Where is this battle okay, occurring? So, is it in the Hundred Acre Woods? No, so listen, 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 listen. There are bees. Oh, and listen, they're both listen. from woodland places. Yeah. Like so they here's have, the oh. thing. Um, I have a little bit more Kirby lore than anybody else in this building. It's okay. I have a lot of Winnie because Pooh Because I watched so. the anime. There was an anime? Yeah. I'm scared. There was a Kirby anime on 4Kids when I was a kid on I'm Saturday morning. I'm officially scared. Kirby does not care if it's a threat or not. Um, Kirby just... He just eats things? Yes. I'm not kidding. In the anime, the kids who were the main characters of the show would honestly have to tell Kirby, you can't eat that. Oh, I see. So, you know, if Piglet Sorry, is there, that's... it is very much a thing where P- Kirby might just go, oh, what are you doing? Oh, you're rubbing so Great. Um, that's kind of threatening. And then eat them for absolutely no reason. Piglet for no reason. Well, um, just saying. Bacon is a delicacy. It's wonderful. Um, I feel like the entire hundred acre wood might get swallowed by Kirby. So, but but like I said, however, Kirby is a literal vacuum. However, Rabbit comes in clutch because he's Rabbit. Rabbit was always my favorite character. Ah, Rabbit was always my no, favorite character. No, but listen, yes. if, if we get Rabbit dive, and, and he uses Owl no, to dive bomb listen, honey on top of listen, Kirby. Listen, no, listen, no. If we get. Kirby and Piv- no, if we get Rabbit, Piglet, and Owl as little lifelines for Winnie the Pooh, that means I get Meta Knight. Okay. I quit. So, <laughs> right. Listen. You're fine. You're right. Listen. At this point, we, we're gonna we call can't it. do yeah, it uh, if I don't also. I mean, I figured. I'll, I'll, I'll give it. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to Kirby because he is a super powered being. It was in a fun video game. Yeah. It was a fun matchup though. That's fair. And who is just, just saying, nice, adorable. Like if y'all get, if y'all get, if y'all get little like no, lifelines, no, I also get lifelines, and my lifeline that I call in is both the penguin with the giant hammer and Meta Knight. King Didi. Yes. Yeah, that's you. Once you call them, yeah, that's, that's. So once I call them in, it's kind of you're kind of done. It's 
kind of over. That's true. Unless I call in also the one guy. Wait, no. I call in adult Christopher Robin. Yeah, I was going to say Christopher Robin because he has the power of imagination. Can I call, oh, God. Can I call just... in the one character from the Crystal Shard 64 that uh, just kind of has the laser eye and just kind of lasers What's... everything? Yeah, you know, I was just playing that last night, and you know which character I was really angry at because I couldn't beat that boss fight? Hmm. The shark. Shark. The shark. And you know when the I The shark finally, is the worst one. Do you know when I finally mm. beat the shark? <laughs> Literally on life zero with mm-hmm. one little bubble left. I Everyone was, hates the shark. What game is this? Kirby, Kirby and the Crystal Shark. It's the Nintendo 64 Kirby.